The title of the message this morning is Life in the Spirit. Doesn't that sound good? Life in the Spirit, and this is part three. And so this message essentially deals with living by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is based on Romans chapter eight. We've been spending some time there, and this is a chapter that deals quite considerably with the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in part one and two, we looked at the first 11 verses of Romans eight, and now today, part three, which is our last uh, of three times in this particular passage, we're gonna look at verses 12 to 17 of Romans eight. So please turn there in your Bible if you haven't already done so. We're gonna look at these six verses of scripture. Romans eight, verse 12 to 17. And let the word of God be ministered afresh to you. It says, therefore, brethren, this is Paul speaking to the church, the Roman believers. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live and God wants us to live. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. May I just repeat that? I love that verse. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And we say, Amen. The Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Now, do me a favor, keep this open in Romans 8 because we'll refer back to it as we're sharing together today. Now, there are four points that I'd like to share with you around this passage of scripture. Four points that I believe bring out the critical things in these verses. And point number one, here it is. Those who are led by the impulses of the spirit are mature sons of God. Let that just sink in for a moment. Those who are led by the impulses of the Spirit are the mature sons of God. Now, let's look at, again, Romans 8, verse 12 to 14. Now, I'm gonna read it in uh, the Passion Translation. It brings a, a lovely freshness in how it uh, renders it. It says, so then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claim on us at all, and we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste his abundant life. 
verse 14. I love the way it puts it. It says, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Now, that same verse, the last one that I just read now, verse 14 in the New King James Version puts it in the way we know it very well. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so we need to realize that not only do we have the Holy Spirit, there was a time when you received the Holy Spirit, but we have to move on, we have to take the next steps and to begin to allow the Spirit to actively lead our lives. And that is what verse 14 is emphasizing here, that we move beyond just receiving. And now we go to the place where the Spirit of God is playing this critical role as our senior partner in life and we are being led by him. We are following his leading moment by moment. Listen to what one theologian says. Paul is not speaking about spectacular instances of divine guidance that only a few prominent Christians experience. No, rather, he's speaking about what all true sons of God experience. Namely, they are led by the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? And so I actually, I really like this because what is it about? It is about moment by moment being led by the Spirit of God. That's what God wants to come and do in your life. Moment by moment being led by Him. And that's why Jesus identified the Holy Spirit as our helper. Because moment by moment, the Spirit of God would come and help us in our lives. That's why the Spirit of God, the helper, is the parakletos, the one that is called alongside to help you. His help is not only once in a while, it is moment by moment, present all the time, help to enable you to follow the leading of God. And sometimes what happens is our flesh wants to take the wrong turn. We wanna do something that's not right. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And he says, no, don't do that. Don't go that way. And he shows, up the, shows us the right direction. And then we respond to his impulses. And you know, time and time again in your life, you face situations where the flesh wants to direct you in a certain way. And you have to say no. Let me give you a little example. Maybe you're in the whole thing of import and export and so on. And uh, your shipment arrives at customs. And you get informed about this. But you get told for some reason there's a 14-day delay. And so there you are at customs and you're busy talking to the customs official and, and there's this 14-day delay. And, and so the custom official says, well, we can make it better. Yeah. We can make it better. We can speed things up a little bit, but it's gonna cost you 2,000 rands. Essentially, he is asking you for a bribe. And in that moment, what happens? Quite possibly your flesh is tempted and you think, well, let me just pay this 2,000 rand. I'm gonna get my 400,000 rand stock so much quicker. Let me just do this. But the Holy Spirit says no and then you respond and you go with the leading of the Holy Spirit because you are led by the Spirit of God. Not only do you just have the Spirit, but you are a person who is led by the Spirit of God. I wanna tell you, if you, will prompt, if you will follow the promptings and the whispers of the Holy Spirit, he will get you out of so many situations 
that would uh, bring you into bondage. He'll get you out of those situations. We should be led by the Spirit. And I've discovered in preparing for this message and in looking in uh, Romans 8 that a significant part of the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives is that He is constantly leading us away from fleshly desires and He's turning us towards righteous living. That is really the context of Romans 8 because it's talking about denying the flesh and following the leadings of the Spirit of God. And isn't it wonderful that the Spirit of God does this? He helps you to choose towards righteous living. And that reminds me of Psalm 23, verse 3. It says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness. How does God lead you? In the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. But also, the Holy Spirit not only wants to lead us away from fleshly things and into righteous decisions, the Spirit of God, He also wants to be involved in all of the big and important decisions in your life. He wants to help you to be able to choose the right marriage partner. He wants to help you know what subject choices to make when you're in school. The Holy Spirit wants to help and lead and guide you to buy just the right house the one that he knows is best for you. He wants to help you to be able to know uh, how many children that you should have or where you should study after school. Let me tell you, oftentimes, husbands and wives can't agree on how many kids they should have. I don't know, can anybody relate to me? <laughs> okay, I'm taking that behind the camera. There's some hands going up. But many times they can't agree. But what if you were to rather, instead of what I want and what my wife wants, what if you were to turn to God and say, well, Spirit of the Lord, how many children would you like us to have? And we will be led by you because you know better. And also in terms of the decision of a life's partner, I want to tell you this is so important. You must choose the right, life, the right life partner because we as pastors are involved in counseling and we have seen time and time again people making the wrong choices. It's terrible. But the Holy Spirit is there to lead you to make these decisions. And so I want to ask you a question. Are you allowing yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit? Let me say that again. Are you allowing yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit? Because if you are, it indicates that you are no longer a baby Christian, but you're a mature child of God. In other words, you're a son of God. Or putting it another way, do you think you are a mature believer? Do you think you're a mature believer? If so, then your lifestyle should prove it and indicate that you are being led by the Spirit of God because only those people who are led by God's Spirit are mature children of God. Can I get an amen? Number two, it is by the Spirit's enablement that we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, verse 15 says of Romans 8, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Please say those three words, spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so folks, yet again, the Holy Spirit, who was poured out at Pentecost, 
the whole thing of Pentecost is not just about receiving spiritual tongues and spiritual gifts. It's not just about power to witness, but it is about the Holy Spirit uniting our spirits with the Father. That's why he's called the spirit of adoption. He makes that uniting of your spirit to the spirit of God real. And so the more I discover about the Holy Spirit, the more I discover how much we need him and the great work that he does in our lives. The same verse in, uh, the, new, in the Passion Translation says, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirit joins him in saying the tender words of affection, beloved Father. This is what is done by the Holy Spirit. And so let me say this. The moment that you are born again, you are born again into the family of God. But you are born again, not as a slave, not as a, a servant as such, but you are born again into God's family as a son of God. That is so beautiful that we have moved out of slavery into sonship. We are born to come into this experience as uh, a son of God. And so in terms of this, we need to realize that it is the Holy Spirit who produces the sonship in us. It's the work he does. In other words, he is the one that brings about our adoption into God's family. He makes us aware of, his, of this adoption. And now because of all of this, we have this wonderful privilege that we can begin to talk to God in this personal, close way that we can say, Abba, Father. We can talk in such a beautiful way to God. And so in the past, under the law, we were slaves. We were fearful. We were in bondage. But now under grace, we experience sonship. We are confident, we are secure, and we have freedom in God. Can I ask, won't you say this after me? I am not a slave. I am a spiritual son. Amen, that's our identity. That is who we are. And by the name, by the way, the name Abba. Uh, Abba is not a Swedish band, all right? I'm not referring to that. Abba is an Aramaic word that means father. But this Aramaic word, it conveys a more intimate meaning of the word father. And it is like, literally, it is like saying papa, or it is like saying uh, daddy or dada, something like that. And so when we are praying to God, and we might use this phrase, Abba Father, it's like saying Papa Father. It is like saying Daddy Father. Isn't this too wonderful that we get to talk to God? We're so privileged that we get to speak to him in this way. Sometimes when I pray, sometimes I do use the word Abba. Mostly I don't really do it in public. Occasionally I might, but I don't know. I find that I wanna use that word when I'm more just alone with God and I'm sitting before the Lord and I say, ah, oh, Father, Abba, Father, my Papa, my Daddy. Thank you that I'm with you right now in this moment in prayer, and it's so beautiful. Maybe you've never re referred to God in this way, and I want to say that you can call him your father. 
You can say, Abba, Father. I remember my boys, Jason and Michael, when they were little, you know, they used to call me Dada. <laughs> there is something so cute about your little two-year-old or your three-year-old saying Dada. They look up at you with a smile, they say, Dada. And it's like I want to say, son, ask up to half of my kingdom. What do you want? Dada. So beautiful. Later on, it becomes daddy. Then it becomes dad. And, uh, and even later on, hey, dad. You know, it kind of changes over time. But Dada, Abba Father, is so beautiful. And so do you know, by the way, that Christianity is the only religion that has this distinctive concept as God as Father? Do you know that? It's powerful. Other religions have some vague similarities of fatherhood, but they are not nearly the same. And you know what this makes me realize? That the whole world is missing out on discovering this personal relationship with our Father who is in heaven. They are missing out. The world is crying out for fathering. It really is. With some of the things that we've seen around the world right now, you know what? It is a cry for fathering. It really is. But it is a cry, actually, in the deepest part of their hearts, even though they may not understand it, it is a cry for the Father in heaven. It is a cry. And I was thinking to myself, why are there so many people in prison? And I believe that one of the reasons is because they have not experienced proper fathering, or maybe they had no fathering whatsoever. But I want to tell you that Father God is standing before you today. His arms are wide open, and your heavenly Father is saying, let me be your Father. I want to be your Father. And I'm the Father that will never let you down, that will never let you be put to shame. I'm the Father who is there for you. And by the way, when Jesus taught us to pray, he indicated that we should pray by saying these words, our Father. Now, that was radical. That was really radical. That was completely different. In fact, it was probably astonishing to his listeners as they heard him say that. Because let me say this, that none of the Old Testament saints would have ever dared to refer to God as Father. It was unheard of, but Jesus came to share this revelation with you and I. He came to say that his father is our father too. And you can be adopted into the family of God, and now you can begin to call him Abba Father. It is truly beautiful. And this is all possible because Jesus delivered us from the curse and made it possible that we can become children of God. Number three. The Holy Spirit confirms that we are God's children. And um, it says in Romans 8 verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is actually a wonderful verse of Scripture. And I virtually always refer to it when we have our new members meetings. We welcome new fem uh, folks into the church and I love to use this illustration. The illustration is as follows. Imagine this fist is your spirit, this fist that I'm holding up. Now, my other hand that I've got open, imagine that this hand is the Holy Spirit. 
according to Romans 8 verse 16, it says, the spirit, that's my open hand, the spirit is a witness. He witnesses. He testifies. He makes it known to your spirit. He testifies. For those listening on radio, imagine the one hand covering over the first hand as the Holy Spirit covers over your spirit. And so what is happening? The spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. He's making it real. He's making it known to you that you are a child of God, that you're a son of God, that you have sonship. And it's so wonderful that the spirit of God does this. You see, when God's spirit touches our spirit in this way, he confirms who we really are. And who are we? We are children of God. That is the identity we carry. And so one of the things I ask is, why is this witness necessary? Because the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children. Why is this necessary? And I believe one of the main reasons is because the devil wants to come and bring doubt regarding your sonship. He wants you to doubt that you are part of the family of God. And the devil even did the same thing to Jesus. When Jesus was led into the wilderness and he was tempted and tested, you know what happened? The first temptation, the testing that came was from the devil, where the devil tried to call into question the son of God's identity. Can you believe that? The devil says the following. He says, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. Can you imagine it? The cheek of it. But you know what? The enemy will try to do the same thing with you. He will try to bring doubt regarding your identity as a child of God. And that's why we must not let him do that. But the Holy Spirit assures us that we are his children. That's why we need the witness of the Holy Spirit to overcome the doubt of the enemy so that we can be so sure. I heard a story about a farmer and uh, this farmer struggled with assurance of salvation. And so virtually every night, every second night, he was thinking, well, maybe if he dies during the night, he's not gonna go to heaven. So what he did one day is he just decided every second night, I'm gonna pray the prayer of salvation and I'm gonna make sure. But then this became quite a thing because every night he's praying this prayer of salvation. And then he decided one day, you know what? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go do something different as a reminder. So he took his bucky, he put a long metal stake, a solid metal pole uh, into the back of his bucky with a sledgehammer. And he went to the corner of his farm and there he got on his knees and he prayed the prayer of salvation once and for all. And he said, God, I repent of my sins. I receive you. Be, may I be your child and thank you that right now I am born again. And he then took this stake, this metal stake, and it took him a while, and he drove it with the sledgehammer into the ground so that just a little bit was sticking out. And he said, well, there is my proof. There is my witness. If ever I doubt that I've given my life to God, I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna check, and there's my witness to this. And so then what would happen is he would go about his life, and now he felt a bit better about things, but then occasionally he would maybe doubt his salvation. So then what he would do is he would get in his bucky, he would drive out to the corner of the farm, he would see the little stake sticking out the ground and he would say, ha, devil, take that. Get behind me, Satan. I am born again. Here is a testament to the fact that I'm a child of God. 
And so the period became longer and longer when he had to go and look and check on the stake. And eventually, one morning he's in bed and the devil says to you, you miserable old so-and-so, you are not born again. And the, the farmer thought, well, maybe I should go and check that stake in the ground again. And he decided, no, no, I'm fed up. He said, Satan, get behind me. You can go and look at that stake yourself, but I'm a child of the living God. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Now, let me tell you that the Holy Spirit is a far better witness than that stake in the ground. I can understand that story and I can understand what it did for that man. But the Holy Spirit is constantly reassuring your spirit and my spirit that we are children of God. And I just wanna take a moment to just appreciate the Holy Spirit and say thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do this. You're our divine witness. You're a faithful witness and your testimony your witness is greater than anybody else's. Can I get an amen? So, on to point number four. As God's children, we are entitled to a splendid inheritance. I almost wanted to say a mind-boggling inheritance, but that's what I came up with. As God's children, we're entitled to a splendid inheritance. And the focus here, as we're about to look at verse 17, is basically about being heirs, about being co-heirs with Christ, and about inheritance. And it says in verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And so I wanna tell you that the fact of being a child in God's family and being an heir are inseparable realities. If you're a child of God, you're automatically an heir of God. The dictionary definition of an heir says, it is a person who has a legal right to inherit the property or position of someone else upon that person's death. By the way, I was just thinking about sometimes we get texts and people are saying, well, you are entitled to a big inheritance because you are the last surviving person that can get this. Has anybody received a text message like that? Maybe it sounds like this. You've received an unclaimed inheritance of five million pounds. Please contact Mr. Robinson to process payment. I've heard of Mrs. Robinson, but I've never heard of Mr. Robinson, but... But you know, it's crazy that people would believe stuff like that. But when you hear this thing, that there's an inheritance, there's still a little something in you that wants to get excited. But even if that were true, that text message were true, I wanna tell you folks, there is a far greater glorious inheritance, inheritance that is in store for you and I. And I wanna say that we are first-class children of God. Because in Roman culture, when there was an adopted son, that adopted son would come into all the same privileges of the biological son. And they would be a first-class child in the family, not a second-class child. And so I wanna say that you're entitled to the full inheritance of sonship. And what does this mean in a nutshell? This is what I've discovered what it means. It means that all that belongs to the Father is ours. When you think of the fact that you have an inheritance, I wanna tell you, all that belongs to the Father 
is ours. Do you receive the word of the Lord this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your word to us. Lord, we are so appreciative for the role of your spirit, for what you do in our lives in bringing us into the family of God, in bringing us this assurance that we are God's children, in helping us to realize that we can live in victory and that we can enjoy the glorious inheritance and that all that the Father has is ours. So we thank you, Lord, for this day. And we bless your people in the matchless name of Jesus. And we all say, amen. God bless you.